Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. The quest for food has evolved some pretty strange body plans. Now, whales have incredibly large mouths, but they live in the ocean. So how do they manage to eat without swallowing huge amounts of water? Plus, we find out about some creatures with some pretty large features, which may look cute, but are actually helping them be deadly predators. This week, we find out about crabs and whales and their strange body plans for hunting. Whales are a truly incredible species, and one of the things that's astonishing about them is the fact that they're air-breathing mammals, which means at some point, like with the rest of mammals, they decided to give up on land and go back into the water to, you know, apply their trade and find an ecological niche. Dolphins and whales have a common ancestor that was a land-based creature, that much we know. But then they went back into the oceans and found a way to be unique and super efficient there, and effectively lost their ability to be on land. When they did that, some really strange things happened to their body, but of course they had legacy things behind as well. They have huge air-breathing lungs, unlike all the fish that you see in the ocean. They need to come up for air. And yet, animals like the blue whale can dive really, really deep into the seas, holding their breath for extended periods of time. So air is incredibly important for whales and dolphins, and they have blowholes where they, you know, they can eject and breathe out, and they do all kinds of incredible things where they come to the surface to play around to get air, amongst other things, as part of their normal feeding and life cycle behaviours. But when they eat, they're still in the water. Unlike humans, where we have to separate, for example, the air we breathe and the food that we eat, well, we can block off some of our breathing passageways and enable the food to just go straight down. But air is mostly harmless and doesn't really cause any problems. I mean, it can give you some burps and give you some digestion problems if you get some in your stomach, but on the whole, it's not going to kill you to have a little bit more air, maybe cough a little bit. Whereas a whale, on the other hand, it needs to eat, but it's surrounded by water, not air. So what happens to all that water? How can whales not drown when they take these huge gulping mouthfuls full of fish and krill? That's how they feed. But what prevents them from drowning in the water of the ocean? And how are they managing even to do things like burp or breathe? This is what researchers from University of British Columbia have published in the journal Current Biology. And lead author in the paper, Dr. Kelsey Gill, along with contributing authors Wayne Vogel and Robert Shadwick. And there's a particular type of feeding style, and this is where whales will basically open up their mouths and, well, lunge at the prey, accelerating at a super high speed, filling their mouth with water and krill and anything else in it. And this kind of lunge feeding is amazing and impressive to watch. In the old pictures that you may have seen in medieval artwork, for example, on maps of these whales as these giant sea monsters or this tail of Jonah being swallowed by the whale. That's the kind of lunge feeding in process that you can imagine. And it's amazing because these whales can engulf water many more times their own body. That's how much they're getting into their mouths. Now, this group of lunge feeding whales includes the humpback and the blue whale, the largest animal on earth. So they fill their mouth with this immense amount of water and this massive lunch, and then it gets drained out through their baleen. 
this baleen filtering process leaves behind all of the things that they can eat and lets the water go. So the water goes and the tasty krill and the things that can be swallowed are then swallowed. So how do these lunge feeding creatures not absolutely fill themselves full of water when they do this? Well, that's where these UBC researchers identified a type of oral plug, a fleshy bulb in the mouth of these lunge-feeding whales that moves backwards and forwards to help seal off the upper airways during feeding. And they also have a separate plug in their larynx to close and block the lower airways. These plugs prevent the water from getting into their lungs when they feed. It's like how in a human... Dr. Kelsey points out, the human's uvula moves backwards to block our nasal passages and our windpipe, it closes up to prevent you from swallowing food into your lungs. And these are all important things to help keep us safe and whales have effectively a similar type of oral plugs. And how they investigated this was looking at specifically fin whales. They're a type of lung feeding whale that and they saw this oral plug in action which needed to move to allow food to pass down into the esophagus of course that's how you know you swallow the krill that they have now the only way it could move was towards the back of the head and up blocking the nasal passages when the whale swallows simultaneously you get they get cartilage moving in the larynx a genital sac to help block off the lower airways now this is amazing because they haven't been able to see a kind of protective mechanism like this in other animals and a lot of our knowledge about, as researcher Dr. Gill points out, of these kind of creatures comes from studying toothed whales and dolphins, which have a totally separate and separated respiratory tracts. So they're not quite the same as a lunge-feeding whale, which will have this human almost like blocking off mechanisms. Now, humans actually have the epiglottis and a soft platter or a lid of cartilage that flap on our muscles in our throat and mouth. And this helps keep us separated. This means, as Dr. Gill points out, possible, with a bit of effort, that humans could probably eat underwater as well. And it's not quite as you're imagining it, eating with a knife and fork underneath the water, but it'd be more like imagining a hamburger, as Dr. Gill puts it, in front of you, and opening your mouth as wide as possible as you approach, so you, and moving really, really fast, and then engulfing completely the hamburger and closing it off. Now, it's doable, but difficult to do without flooding your lungs. But that's effectively what the whale's oral plugs and closing larynxes have enabled them to do. With a lot of evolution, this is how they effectively got the mechanisms that they need for lunge-style feeding. And if you're a creature with a huge, huge body size, like the blue whale, you need to eat, just from a weight perspective, an enormous amount of food. And krill are an immensely efficient form of getting a large amount of food. But you need to eat a lot of them. So the only way to eat a lot of them is to actually get a lot of them into your mouth and process them really quickly. So it can't afford to spend a long time chewing or chomping. You just need to get as much of that protein and energy from that food into you as quickly as possible. And that's pretty much what lunge feeding is about. Coming back to the hamburger example, it's like you had 10 concentrated hamburgers that you just crammed into your mouth if your mouth was big enough to enable you to actually fit them all in rather than chomping your way through them maybe a bit like those speed eating contests. Whales are effectively doing the same thing with just pure volume. 
and Dr. Gill and her colleagues using stranded whales as the dissection tools to study the whale anatomy. And that's great, but you've got to get as much done before the tide comes and washes them away or they decay too much. And if you don't do it that way, you could also work with uh, whaling operations and use the bits of the whale that aren't being commercialized and try and study them that way. And certainly they did that in a case in Iceland in 2018, but it's not as straightforward as what they would really like to do, which is get a tiny camera and throw it down into the mouth of a whale that's lunge feeding to see what's actually happening. But if they were trying something like that, first you need a camera that's pretty hardy and waterproof, and then you need to make sure it's safe for them to eat and also be biodegradable. That, a bit more of a challenge. But if they were able to come up with some way to actually understand the process from the krill's eye view, it would be phenomenal especially when you consider all of the amazing things that these blue whales and humpback whales do. We know that they can, as Gil points out, they can burp, hiccup, cough, and even blow bubbles out of their mouth. Now, this is all pretty amazing, but it's very much like what humans can do because they have a similar mechanism, just evolved now to be optimized, specifically for lunge feeding inside water. So yes, maybe if a bit of evolution were to play with you over a long period of time, you would be able to eat underwater too. But the mechanisms that we have in our throat to keep us safe from accidentally swallowing our food down our lungs or our drinks down our lungs is exactly what whales have as well. And researchers have recently outlined all of this and published in the journal Current Biology. Lead researcher on this paper was Dr. Kelsey Gill, along with other researchers, Wayne Vogel and Robert Shavik. you can make something look cute in movies or cartoons or drawings is to stick really large eyes on it and this for reasons that we're not entirely sure often can give humans the impressions of finding something cute in a drawable you hear the expression puppy dog's eyes or baby's eyes that that ability of eyes to convey a large amount of emotion especially in larger size and emphasizes have been shown in many impressions and surveys to actually get people to respond as something finding it cute or more attractive or more pleasing to look at. But in the animal kingdom, having big eyes is an investment. It's a body plan investment in evolutionary terms where it has decided, well, we're just going to invest in eyes. So what do large eyes actually get you? Well, if you have large eyes, that's a lot of tissue, especially soft tissue, that needs to be protected. And it requires a lot of neurons there to process all the signals coming in. And if you have compound eyes, that's even more complex. So that gives you really great visual acuity, the ability to see in incredible levels of detail. But then that needs even more energy and effort and optic lobes to process all of those signals. And all of this goes to say that if you're going to do all of this, these big eyes better be giving you something of an advantage. Otherwise, why would they have evolved? Creatures in the insect world, like dragonflies, are some of the apex predators of insects, so are mantis shrimp under the water. They use this high visual acuity to hunt viciously and find their prey and react faster than other creatures around them. Now, if you're, say, a scavenging type creature, well, 
you don't really need good eyes. Yeah, you have them because you still need to be able to identify stuff, but you're not using super high resolution, high speed, super powerful eyes that the predators need. Now, this is an important thing to think about because some species that researchers can find can have some pretty unusual eye shapes. So the position of the eyes, the size and shape of these eyes can help give researchers many clues as to how that creature lived and how it hunted. So knowing this now about eyes, we're going to turn to some work published in the journal Eye Science by researchers Kelsey Jenkins, Derek Briggs and Javier Luke. Javier Luke is the, the lead author on this paper and principal first author was Kelsey Jenkins. Now, these researchers were studying, in particular, a, a creature that has been discovered in many fossil records to have incredibly large eyes, almost comically large eyes. This is the Calicomera perplexa, which is a 95-million-year-old fossil discovered in the Andes of Colombia in a Cretaceous layer of rock that is of a crab, but a crab with really, really strange features, eyes that are massive. And it's one of the most unusual features of this particular fossils. If you compare it to a crab that you might envisage and actually see in the real world, you'll see they have tiny compound eyes located on the end of a long stalk with a big orbit to cover and protect the eye. Now, Calamicamera, on the other hand, has really, really large compound eyes with no socket to protect them at all. This is pretty amazing, but it actually makes it look like almost a cartoon impression of a crab rather than an actual crab. Now, when researchers first saw this, they thought the Calicomera was a crab that was maybe in its last larval stage of development, called megalopa, which means big eyes. In this stage, crabs, by nature of it, have pretty large eyes because those have developed, but the rest of the body is sort of catching up. Now, this is a part of the developmental cycle of a crab. But once the crab matures into its juvenile body, the rest of the body keeps growing, 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 but the eyes don't. So the eyes go back into being proportioned. And whereas what they found, researchers Luke and Jenkins, diving into over 1,000 specimens of living and extinct crabs from 15 different crab species and family trees, they found that it was pretty unusual, the Calicomera's body plan. Mostly because they could have fossil examples of different stages of development from different habitats, ecologies, life cycles, and even depths in the ocean. Now, when they did this and they measured the dimensions of the eyes and the bodies of the crabs from infant all the way to adult, what they found is that unlike other crab species, the Calicomera retained its large eyes there from beginning all the way to the end. In fact, actually, Calicomera's eyes were the, one of the fastest growing of all crab species and could even get up to being 16% of the crab's entire body. That is nuts, if you think about it. Now, okay, a calicomera isn't that big. It's around, you know, 5 centimeters, maybe 10 centimeters, maybe around 2 to 5 centimeters in size, a coin size, more or less. Now, having eyes that are 16% of that type of body plan is pretty nuts. But if you were thinking on a human, it'd be a human with the eyes the size of a soccer ball. Now, that's bigger than our head normally typically is, and that would just be one eye. So the Calicomera's eyes, compared to the rest of its body, are just so massive, out of proportion. Having such big and unprotected eyes, as we said before, 
means it must have given them some huge benefit that could justify some kind of huge eye. Now, crabs in general, as scavengers, normally have around eyes that are around 1-3% to of their body size, not 16% in this calicomeric case, which means that it must have been used with high visual acuity to justify being so big. Even though it's a small and cute crab, it must have had a way to hunt like a dragonfly. The fact that it's got these large eyes that are being not protected means that, well, it must have been using them to go after, swim after, because it had the ability to see and respond to things in a much more different way than, well, a normal scavenger-based crab. It suggests that the eyes were then used when hunting. Now, when you have slow-growing, less big eyes, well, they're normally just for scavenging types because they're not actually contributing to the development, so they're not important. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing to think about. Giant eyes, cutesy looking but tiny crab, was actually a hunter in the Cretaceous seas, swimming around and swimming around like a dragonfly does, hunting all small things around it. This is some pretty amazing things to think about when you think about crabs and themselves a pretty incredible species. There's a lot of diversity inside the crab family, and nature loves evolving crabs over and over again but even when they evolve crabs they're not always the same and some of them had some pretty unusual features that we don't actually see much nowadays but must have given it a pretty big advantage at the time this is great research published in iScience by researchers Jenkin Briggs and Luke about the size of the Calicomera crab's eyes and how incredibly big they were and useful for hunting this has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast Lagrange Point from crabs with supersized eyes that make them super predators to how whales stop themselves from swallowing large amounts of water. We found out about how nature's evolution enabled creatures to have some strange body. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of Australia. <laughs>